So you've got your Bibles to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we began a series that I think is very timely uh, for us, for us as a church, for us as a community, for us as a nation. Uh, We're dealing with spiritual warfare these next several weeks. The title of the series is Winning at Spiritual Warfare. Uh, I told you an introduction last week. You've heard me if you've been around Victory Family Church the last 25 years, which, by the way, this is your 25-year birthday as a church in this community, 25 years of ministering to lost people, saved people, hurting people, spirit-filled people, not-so-spirit-filled people, reaching into this community in so, so many ways the last 25 years. And as, we, as I kind of threw that little last part of the prayer in there, that wasn't in your daily prayer on Facebook this morning, but I threw that one in there that let's make this the best year of the 25 years that Victory Family Church has been privileged to serve our community. Amen? Um, But as a church, as a community, uh, we are in warfare. And I told you last week that probably the most disappointing thing in, in Christianity or the Christian realm is so many Christians fail to realize that there is a warfare, that uh, things that are happening uh, don't have to necessarily happen, but if we don't know we're in a warfare, we let things happen uh, being unaware. And so in this series, I just want to bring us back to this understanding that as followers of Christ, we are involved in warfare, warfare daily. Now, I'm not talking about warring against political parties, politicians, policies, or anything else, because Paul tells us, as we'll read in a moment, people, policies, things of this earth are not our enemy. Everything that's happening here has been happening up here first in the spirit realm, in the heavenly realm. And that's where the warfare is taking place. And it is believers, followers of Christ, who are to have the discernment of that and who then have been given an authority to be victorious in that warfare because Christ has already won the victory. But if we don't understand the war, if we don't understand the tactics of our enemy, we don't walk in that victory. We don't walk in... The fullest. Jesus said, look, I've come to give you life abundant. We know he gives us eternal life. And in the process of obtaining our eternal life, he says, I've got abundant life. Life beyond measure. Life that you can't even imagine. And yet we, we fail to experience that to its fullest. And I think part of it is because we don't understand the warfare and how the enemy is stealing that abundant life, that joy-filled life that peace-filled life from us. So we're going to study through Ephesians 6. Last week was introductory. Uh, Today we're going to continue on that, talking about the idea of standing strong. There is a, a book that was written over 600 years ago. It's titled The Art of War. And it's been known as a, as a classic for Chinese warfare, but, but it's been used by nations around the world. In fact, even uh, at West Point, right here, our own U.S. Military Academy uh, uses it as a, as a form of training and strategy uh, in warfare, in teaching and training the cadets. And uh, the author, Sun Tzu, made this statement that I want to share with you. We're going to apply it to spiritual warfare, but he says this. If you know the enemy... And you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. 
If you know yourself, but you don't know the enemy, for every victory gained, you'll suffer another defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb to every battle. To bring that into a spiritual aspect for our lives, if we don't know the tactics of the enemy of our soul, and we don't know who we are in Christ Jesus, we're never going to know the abundant life. We're never going to know the victory that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, at whose knee, at whose name every knee bows. We'll never know that power, that authority. So we must understand this warfare. Last week we saw that Satan's tactics are to deceive, to divide, to discourage, and to destroy. He's come to rob us of our joy, our peace, and our blessings. He's come to kill our dreams and our hopes. He's come to destroy the freedom and the abundant life that Jesus has given to us. He has come to divide. He has come to destroy. Jesus said he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He has a tactic. He has plans. He has authority, but his authority is limited to to what we give him. His authority only comes to what I allow him. Because you see, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been filled with his Holy Spirit, the authority of Jesus that conquered death, hell, and the grave, the authority of Jesus that cast out demons and commanded them is the power of Jesus that lives inside you. You are not a victim in this warfare. You are a victor. But Paul says today, look, you're going to have to stand in that. You're going to have to hold your ground. That which Jesus has given you, do not let this enemy deceive you, divide you, confuse you, and steal it from you. So this morning, we're going to talk about how to stand. So in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to go through in the next weeks the remainder of chapter 6. I'm just going to give you four verses this morning for for our text. We read it all last week, but this week we're going to do just the four verses beginning in verse number 10. Paul says, finally, everybody say finally. If you read the first five chapters of Ephesians, you understand Paul is talking to us about Jesus and what Jesus has done and what we as believers have received from Christ in this life of the Spirit. And then he says this, look, considering that all of this is yours in Christ, finally do this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now read verse 13 with me. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Let's look this morning a little bit into God's word of to how we stand. Some of you have asked me about the glasses this morning because I told you about my dilemma with contacts. I did, I did get better at getting that one contact into my eyeball. But the problem is 
that one contact doesn't give me clear vision. You guys were still blurry, so I got some backup glasses. I got the, I got the contacts so I can wear $10 sunglasses when I feel like a $10 cheap sunglass day instead of $300 glasses. I told my eye doctor when I went in, he said, do you want, uh, you want contacts, you want glasses? I said, well, let's do both just in case. I've always, you know, I like flexibility. I, I, I pack for a three-day trip. I pack for 10 days because I just like whatever morning I get up and feel like putting on. I'm, I'm not restricted, right? So I said, let's do both. I said, I, I think glasses make me look smarter, but I look younger without glasses. So I said, doc, I either got to decide, do I want to look young and dumb or old and smart? And he's gracious. He didn't say anything. But then I thought, if I said that to Steve Rager, Steve would say, no, Pastor, you just look old and dumb. (laughs) I don't know why Steve's face popped up when I had that thought run through my mind. You have to know Steve. Some of you do. So I am wearing the glasses so you look handsome and beautiful and not fuzzy and three-eyed out there, okay? So how do we stand? Paul is an expert at what it is in spiritual warfare to stand your ground. Paul himself writing Ephesians, he's in a prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. It's where he gets the imagery of this armor that we're going to talk about the next few weeks. But he knows what it is. He knows what it is to be persecuted for preaching the gospel. He knows what it is to, to be near death. He knows what it is to, be, uh, to have stones thrown at him. He knows what it is to have crowds uh, chase him. He knows what it is to be in prison. He knows what it is to have this warfare as he is attempting to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ he knows what it is to, be, to meet opposition from the enemy in spirit, soul, and even body. Paul is the guy we need to connect with to learn about this warfare. And here's what Paul teaches us, three truths this morning that I want us to look at from these four verses as we learn to stand. Number one, we stand strong relying on the Lord's strength. Paul said this, finally, be strong where? In the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Our victory and our hope in winning in any spiritual battle that we may face is in the fact that, that we stand not, not on ourselves. No, we tried that, didn't we? We tried it before we came to know Jesus Christ. All of our life was about us fighting for our own territory. And at some point we realized we are losing this battle, and we, we chose to humble ourselves before Christ. And Paul says, look, you're, you're going to win the battles. You're going to stand your ground when you stand in Christ. So let's talk for a moment about what that looks like. I have this quote. I have no idea who to give it credit to. It's not fresh for me, but it resonates with me. The Christian is not commanded to be courageous in his own strength, but to be emboldened by the power of another. And that other is Jesus Christ. Amen? You can stand because you are filled with the very Spirit of Christ Jesus. And I tried through this, this past year on numerous occasions through various teachings to, to reiterate to us and to help us wrap our minds and our hearts around the understanding that we live with an innate power through Jesus Christ living in us. And once again, I want to, to reiterate that. Paul uses this word strong. He says, be strong. That word strong means to be empowered, means to be enabled, 
and it means to increase in strength. So it's an active word. It's a progressive active word. You're going to be empowered when Christ comes to live inside of you. When you put your faith in Christ and, and you opened your heart to him and you chose to follow him, he filled you with his spirit. You were born again, born of the spirit. And the spirit has come into you today, the very spirit that was in Christ Jesus. His very spirit has come to live inside of you and he empowers you. He enables you. You think, man, I, you know, I, I can't seem to win any battles. The devil's just chasing me all over the place and he's, he's whipping my tail left and right and this and that. Well, it's because you don't understand the power that you've got through Jesus Christ. You're not leaning on the strength of Jesus. You're leaning on your strength. You remember there were seven guys in the book of Acts that uh, tried to do that, the seven sons of Sceva. They walked up to a demon-possessed guy and said, in the name of Jesus, they've got the name right, who Paul preaches. We don't know this Jesus, but Paul does, so we've heard, come out. And the demons looked at him and said, Jesus I know, mm -hmm. Paul I know, but who in the world are you? Stripped them naked and they ran off totally defeated. Because they were leaning on what they might know, not who they could know. You find your strength in Jesus. The word strong, it's, it's the word that implies the power which Jesus did miracles through. It's connected to the manifestations of miracles. So when when Jesus overcame temptation, it's because he had the strength of the Spirit in him. In fact, what happened when Jesus was baptized and then he came up out of the water, he went immediately into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. And in those 40 days, he had confrontation face-to-face -face with Satan. But what happened when Jesus came up out of that water? It says they saw the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus. Jesus went into that experience full of the Spirit of God. And he overcame temptation because he had the strength of the Spirit of God. He was able to rebuke the wiles of nature, the winds and the waves, because he possessed the power of the Spirit of God within him. He was strong to cast out demons. He was strong to heal the sick and the disease because he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was strong to overthrow the power of death and the grave by ascending himself on the third day, by the power of the Spirit of God. You know, Jesus, he said, I, I can't do anything except what the Father, what the Father does through me. The Spirit of God. And Paul tells us we are leaning on the strength. The very power that was in Jesus is the strength we are leaning upon. It's where we find our power and our enablement is through that same spirit. If the same spirit that dwelt in Christ and raised him from the dead dwells in you, he quickens your mortal bodies. That's the assurance that when we die and when Jesus comes back, if his spirit lives in us, we will be raised in a glorified body and with Jesus. But keep in mind what it says, if the same spirit that was in Jesus dwells in you, apparently he does.
Amen? So we have his strength. This word strong in the Lord means to abide. Your strength comes from abiding in Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. To abide means to remain. And I've, I've often had trouble kind of wrapping my mind around it. I know what it means, but what does it look like? Well, I discovered something this week I'd never caught before. First John chapter 2, and you, you don't have it on a slide, but... 1 John chapter 2 tells us that to abide in Jesus means to walk with Jesus like Jesus. It's in 1 John chapter 2. To abide means we're walking with Jesus like Jesus. The light came on. That's where our strength is. Abiding in Jesus. Walking with Jesus. Stand strong, relying on the strength that Jesus gives you. The second truth Paul gives us this morning is that we stand strong, readying ourselves daily. He says, put on the full armor of God. To put on means to, uh, to slide into. It, it's the idea of getting dressed. It's like the idea of putting on a, a garment or in their day a, a robe. To put on, to slide into, to, to uh, immerse yourself in. So he says, immerse yourself in the armor of God. Now, we're going to see in the next coming weeks that that armor is the activity of Jesus in our lives as, as spirit-filled believers. And we'll, we'll see the application to that in our day-to-day. But when he says, put on, this is an active word. This is something that is done regularly. I, I believe it's done daily. I believe we have to put on the armor of God to deal with and to stand our ground today. Tomorrow, we stand and put on the armor of God so that we can stand tomorrow and the next day. It's to immerse. To put in is to immerse our minds in the awareness of the truth of who Jesus is in us. Remember the art of war? If you don't know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you'll lose every battle. To know yourself means to know who you are in Jesus Christ. The armor that Paul describes is the activity of Jesus in a believer's life on a 24-7 basis and to be fully aware of the power that he has given to you. So let me get just very, very practical here for a moment. And and I know we're not doing handouts right now, so you don't have a hard copy of this, but you're going to want to get this. So I suggest you do the, the 2021 modern tech thing and take a screenshot of these 10 points right here. They're all right there together. Putting on the full armor daily will look like this. We'll look at the, the pieces of armor in the coming weeks, as I said, but, but this is what it looks like to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. One, begin your day by asking the Lord for his strength. Ask him to give you strength for today. He hears you when you pray. He is for you and not against you. It's not a testimony to his glory to see you fail in faith. He'll strengthen you. Ask him. Ask him. Secondly, saturate your mind with God's word. Fill your mind with the truth of God's word. I was excited this morning, pre-service time, prayer time, talking with the worship team and, and hearing some of them talking about their new reading plans for the year and how they're reading. And Anthony, guitar on the guitar this morning, said uh, how excited he was and how energized he's been these first couple of weeks of the year because he, he has set a goal that within the next uh, couple of months, within the first couple of months of this year, to read all the way through the entire New Testament. He's never read it 
uh, Matthew through Revelation. He's read it by books and parts and pieces, but he's, he's never read it consecutively, and he's, he's almost actually done. He's doing about 10 verses a day. And he said, Pastor, it's just re-energized me. It's excited me about Christ and my relationship to him. Saturate your mind with God's word. How do you saturate it? Number three, memorize scriptures. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Or I'm sorry, that's the wrong, <laughs> that's the wrong Psalm, Psalm 1. Uh, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand away of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. The blessed man meditates on God's word in it. That word meditate means basically to saturate, to, to memorize, to have read it, reflected on it, and let it get down inside you so much that it's, it's there. It's there when you need it. Part of, the sword of the, part of the armor we have is the sword of the Spirit, as we'll see. And, 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 and if you don't know the Word, you, got no, you, you, can't, you can't pull the sword if you don't have the Word, because the sword is the Word. These are all disciplines. You're all like, well, okay, I have to get me some index cards. Yeah, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make some disciplines if you're going to suit up and you're going to stand your ground. Cut out activities and attitudes that rob your faith. What are the things that are pulling you away from Christ? What are the things that are diminishing and hindering that relationship to Jesus? Cut those things out. Cut those relationships out. Cut those shows out. Cut whatever it is. I'm, I'm not trying to be legalistic on you. I'm just trying to say, look, you, you, you can't have a foot in, in both camps, right? You can't have a foot in, in the enemy's camp and a foot in, in, the, in the camp of Christ, you're never going to succeed. You will never, never know the abundance of life. You cut them out, but then number five, you pursue activities that increase your faith. Put those things into your life. Put those disciplines and activities and people into your life that help you increase your faith. Number six, worship in song and let Christ dwell deeply in you. Man, church, I encourage you. Daily. Get yourself into some mode of worship. And in our high-tech society and culture, it's, it's really easy to do. Uh, iTunes. Get you an iTunes account. I think it's free. I mean, you can, you can pay some money and get even more music, but get you an iTunes account. Get you a, a Spotify account. Um, if you're a member of Amazon Prime, tap into the Amazon Music you go there, you will get all kind of stuff. But you put in the search bar, worship, Christian worship. Okay, let's, let's narrow it down because there's other worship out there. By the way, Highway to Hell is not a spiritual song. Highway to Heaven, it's really not one either, by the way. So type in Christian worship. And playlists will come up. And I do it every morning in my prayer time. I click my Spotify, and I've got five or six different playlists of Christian music that's just going to play endlessly until I'm ready to, to turn that off. But get your heart in a mode of worship on a daily basis so that you are encouraged and strengthened in your faith for what the day holds. Pray in the Spirit, number seven. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with the discernment of the Spirit, but pray as well with the gift of tongues that the Lord has given you. Through that experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with that comes this gift of tongues. You say, Pastor, I believe I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but, but I don't pray in tongues. Well, allow Him. 
Allow him to pray through you. Allow him the opportunity to pray through you. The gift is there because the, the Holy Spirit is there. If you don't know if you have the bat, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, when you're saved, you're as saved as you can ever be. In that moment, you are as saved as you will ever be. But we read through, particularly in the book of Acts, but we find that then there came this experience where the disciples, the apostles in the early church, they, they were saved. What on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Those people were already believers in Jesus. In John 20, Jesus had already breathed the Spirit into them. They were believers, obviously, because for 10 days they'd been sitting in a room not knowing what to anticipate or expect, but Jesus just said, stay. So they're staying. They're believers. But then they received this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On the occasions then, there are five moments in the book of Acts where we see the, uh, this, this baptism, this, this subsequent experience of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues, just let me say, so this is a whole other series. I don't even know why I just opened this chest. But let me just try to explain best I can and then we'll, we'll go here. But I, I, I think there's, there's the gift of tongues that the Lord gives to us cannot be dismissed. We cannot dismiss it. It is, it's his gift. It is, it is, all right, so I, I'm so way out there already. Tongues does not save you, okay? You say, Pastor, I've never prayed in tongues. I'm fearful for my eternity. No. Faith in Jesus saves you. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. There comes this place then as you are just walking and abiding in Jesus that this thing, this, this something inside you, as Jesus said, like a spring of living water inside of you begins to well up. And then this gift of tongues is a part of that. You say, Pastor, why tongue? Can I go there right now? Can we just do that? I'll, I'll figure out how to make this all up from the end. But the gift of tongues... Paul says this, he, he outlines, depending on how you look at how he's wording them, 20 plus spiritual gifts that he lists for us in the, in the writings of Corinthians and in Romans. He says these gifts, all of these gifts are given for the building up of the church. So when someone gives a, uh, a word of prophecy, which happens here on a, on a semi-regular basis, when the Spirit of God speaks through someone with the gift of prophecy and they speak forth a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, that word's not just for them. The reason they're given that word is to share with us so we are built up together as the body. When someone has the gift of healing, it's not so they can go around laying hands on themselves. It is so they can minister healing to others through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says this about the gift of tongues. He says, tongues... Edify the believer. Tongues edify the believer. The word edify means to build up or to recharge. We live in a rechargeable world, don't we? We recharge batteries, we recharge phones, we recharge watches. It's like that. It is to build us up in our faith. So when the Holy Spirit gives us this gift of tongues. There is a public demonstration of tongues. Paul, we have to understand when Paul talks about tongues, there's, there's, there's two 
specific purposes we see for the gift of tongues in the New Testament. One of them is in the corporate setting such as this. So it was either last Sunday or the Sunday before, during an appropriate moment of time in prayer here in this auditorium, an individual moved by the Spirit of God gave a message in tongues. So we stop because that's corporate. We stop and we listen and we discern. And Paul says when that happens, somebody in the congregation is going to have the interpretation. And let me just be instructive in this. Particularly, Paul says, the person who manifests the gift should then ask God to give them the interpretation. So a mature believer will do this. Be ready if you're going to operate in that gift. Be ready. Don't just throw it out there and say, let's let pastor clean it up now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be ready because it may very well be you. But in that service... The Holy Spirit immediately dropped interpretation into the spirit of an individual, spoke directly into, and I affirm it as your pastor. I think we all affirm that it was a legitimate word from God to build up the church of Jesus Christ. So when that happens, there is to be interpretation. But then Paul makes a statement. Paul says, when he's bringing some instruction to the church in Corinth about the spiritual gifts, keep in mind, that was all chaos. Everybody's giving messages in tongues over everybody else. Everybody else is trying to prophesy over everybody else. And so he's trying to bring some structure and some order so that it's healthy. And so he says, he, he, he's going he's gonna to give them some instruction about tongues. And he's, he's going to tell them, look, if there's not an interpretation available, don't, don't give it. Because if, it, if it's given tongues corporately for the whole body to hear, then it's of no value unless it's interpreted. But he doesn't want them to think he's anti-tongues because he makes this statement. Look, guys, I pray in tongues more than any of you. But he's saying there has to be some order to how this operates effectively. And so when Paul says, I pray in tongues more than any of you, you know what he's saying is, I have a personal prayer language, a devotional prayer language. So when he's riding from city to city and from place to place, he's got this gift that the Lord has given him that he's about to walk into an arena full of thousands of people who, who aren't believers in Christ, who have multitudes of gods that they worship, and he's going to go in and tell them about the God of the unknown, that one idol they have out there that they don't know who it belongs to. And he's going to say, let me tell you about the God who you must know. He's praying, he's preparing himself, and I believe that he's praying in his prayer language. Because he says, look, it edifies the believer, it builds the believer up. So I say all that to get to this. We can't dismiss tongues. We can't dismiss tongues. There are strong teachings on both sides of the issues. Was it just for the apostles? Did it end with the first church age? We had this resurgence of this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues beginning in the, the, the century, the 1900. And some say, well, you know, church history plays out that, that it, it's not a valid gift anymore. But that's not true because if you study church history, there have been in every, in every era of church history, there have been 
places where the move of the Holy Spirit brought the manifestations of the Spirit. It may not have been worldwide and it may not have even been nationwide, but it came in various places at various times. Um, that's for a whole other teaching on, on why I believe and why we as a fellowship believe that the gift of tongues is still valid. But here's the deal. You will go to heaven because of your faith in Christ, not because you speak in tongues. But you will walk in a victory and in an authority and in an abundance of the life Jesus has for you if you will allow that gift to operate. When I am trying to prepare a message and, and, and I'm a teacher by my gift and, and the gifts that God's given me and by my calling. And so I want to make it as, as simple, as understandable. I want to I want to I want to outline it and and sometimes I struggle with that. I know I know what the Lord wants to say, but the, the structure of how I'm going to communicate that with you so that you can grab it and and run with it. And Sometimes I'll start getting a little anxious. If I'm, if I'm very far into the week and I don't have nailed down exactly how this is going to need to be presented and I'm still struggling with that, I find this. I can sit down at my desk. I can sit down with my Bible and my, my, my materials, and I'm just struggling, and, and I can just take a moment. It might only even be 30 seconds or a minute, and, and I'll just begin to, to pray in my prayer language. And then I'll stop for a minute or two and just wait. And then all of a sudden, the obstacles are, are, are removed. I have found uh, when we were in multiple services here through many years, that between services and, and pouring out in one service and then getting ready for a second and then sometimes even a third service, that I would go back to my office and for just a few moments I would pray in my prayer language just to build myself up for what the Lord might want to do in this next moment. And when you, when you operate in that, you find, uh, you just find a strength. I don't know how to explain it. We could all explain it probably a little bit differently of how it works in us. But I just want to encourage you. Here's the deal. I know some of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But maybe it's been a while since you actually operated in that gift. Let me encourage you. The Holy Spirit's still there. The gift is still there. For the Word of God says the gifts of God are without repentance. He didn't remove it from you. The Holy Spirit has that gift still for you. Begin to operate in it. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've never, I've never spoken in tongues. Well, here's what I would encourage you to. I would encourage you to pray. And I would encourage you to ask Jesus and just open your heart fully to him and just say, Lord, I want whatever you have. And Lord, I want all that you have. And let me, let me encourage you in this. Don't, don't pray for the gift. Jesus, I want tongues. Now, the, the tongues are an overflow of an infilling that just wells up in us. That is is supernatural. You can't get that. That comes straight 
from the Spirit of Christ Jesus, that welling up. In tongues, then, is the yielding of that welling up in you and just speaking, just speaking. It could be a word. It could be two words. could be a sentence. could be an entire language. For me, originally, in the, in when it first happened with me, and by the way, can I tell you, I'm not sharing something with you that I was born and raised in, so I know nothing different. No, I know just the opposite. I was taught for numbers of years that tongues were of the devil, that if you spoke in tongues, you were demon-possessed. Was I a candidate when I finally got saved in 1981 for tongues? No. First time I was ever in a service where people were praying in tongues, I'd come back from California trying somehow to get my life together and thought, well, let me try church again. Went to a charismatic church that my mom was going to, and I liked it because they had music because where I came from, the church I'd been in, it was just, and we didn't have music. So I'm like, yeah, okay, this is pretty cool. Until they started praying. And here I am, Ma, Meemaw's on one side, and I don't know who this lady is. I don't even know if Meemaw knew her or if this was a, a setup, but they're holding hands, and the pastor says, all right, let's all pray. Just lift your hands. And, or, no, he didn't even say that. He said, let's pray. So they began praying, and it's intense. Man. And uh, next thing I know, this hand goes up, and this hand goes up, and then there's these tongues. And you want to know what I prayed? This literally was what I said in that moment. Lord, and I don't have much of a prayer relationship with the Lord right now. I'm, I'm still pretty strung out. But I prayed and I said, Lord, please don't let me do this. <laughs> now, I'm not proud of that, but I'm just being honest. That's where I was as an unbeliever right now who's totally lost in my sin and don't want to be demon-possessed because that's all I've been taught, right? But I am so, so glad that God is gracious. And God is, God is faithful to you to meet you right where you are with his gifts. So, this is so far the opposite. I just had that one little point, Tom. What happened? Man, it was you had one job. Keep me on track. Finish this message in 35 minutes. That was your job. <laughs> point number eight. Yeah. Uh, so because there's 36 points to this message, next Sunday's message will be pointless, okay? So uh, that's a joke. I'm just kidding. All right, let me. So hopefully something stirred in you. Let me, let me continue, but I will, I will do this in an expedient fashion because I think the Lord wants to do something. Number eight, be watchful, vigilant. Remember the power of the one who is in you. Greater is he in you. Let's go to number three right here where we'll wrap it up. You're going to stand strong. You're going to stand strong by refusing to stand down. To stand down means to go off duty. It means to relax. It means to be at ease. If you're in the military and you're in a, in a, in a readied position or you are... Uh, I don't know what the position is called when the general walks in and attention. That's what it's called. You're standing at attention. You are, everything's pressed, creased and everything. And then finally, you're glad when he says, stand down. Okay. You put your gun down and you hold it. It means to relax. But you see in spiritual warfare, we don't get the privilege to stand down. Because the warfare is, is constant. It's 24-7. We don't get the privilege to, to just stand down. The moment we start to stand down is the moment we start to compromise. 
And it's the moment we start to lose the ground that Jesus has given us. So Paul says in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. Watch this. Stand your ground. And after that, you've done everything. Stand. The only thing I can make out of that, stand your ground and then stand. The only thing I can make out of that is what Paul is saying is, look, once you've prepared yourself and you've put the armor on, you've done everything, stand. Not down, stand up. That word stand means to stand upright. It means to stand actively. So I've tried to think, how do you stand actively? Well, I think active standing means that you're not standing like this, hoping all the arrows fly around you. Ooh, that was close. It means to stand after. It means to stand alert. It means to stand as though you're aware and you're watching and you're vigilant. It could possibly even mean you stand in advancement. But we stand upright. We stand actively. And then that word also means to continue standing. Let me tell you real quickly, how do we give up ground that Jesus has given us? How do we stand down? By compromising our convictions. How many of us started the faith strong? Man, we cut everything out. We were so in love with Jesus. We cut off every television show. We didn't watch Cheers. La, 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 la. I don't need a bar scene. I don't need any of that anymore. But then how, after a period of time, do we, do we just, well, it's okay this, or it's okay that. When we compromise our conviction, when we know what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is expecting of us, and we compromise and we continue then to do that, we are losing ground every time. We lose ground by disobeying God, disobedience. The Word of God tells us disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft, that rebellious spirit. God says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with your worship, he says, but sacrifice is okay, but obedience is what I look for. Obedience. Neglecting our spiritual growth. We can never just remain stagnant. We can never remain in the same place. If we're not growing... We're losing ground and operating out of our flesh nature. When I give place to the flesh, I'm opening a door. Paul says, don't give that foothold to the devil. So how do we stand? Here's what First Peter tells us. Peter says this, be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's how you stand. Resist, stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. How are you going to stand? You're going to be alert. You're going to be discerning to the signs and the things around you. You're not going to just buy into it because 22 million people agree to it on Facebook. You're going to discern and you're going to be alert to the signs and things that are happening that, that this is spiritual. This is, this is not just people being weird. This is spiritual. You're going to resist and you're going to stand in faith. So here it is. We stand 
to win at spiritual warfare by relying on the Lord's strength, readying ourselves daily, and refusing to stand down. 